0: Welcome to the Man Up God's Way podcast, a show that dives into the real, raw, and relevant issues for men and their faith, life, and community. Now, your host, Jody Burkeen.
1: And here we are on another Monday night uh, at the Man Up podcast, and man, we're just glad that you guys are joining us. Um, my name is Jody Birkin, I'm your host and the founder of man up god's way men's ministry an international men's ministry that is birthed was birthed out of a desire to see men do christianity instead of just talk about it and just sit in the proverbial back row of the church and so um our podcast is growing each week and we just want you to take an opportunity right now to hit the like button the subscribe button share this podcast Um, it's live on monday nights and then we will launch a download for all podcast platforms later on to mirror the relationship that they have with their spouse. And then hopefully because they have become one flesh, their parenting will become better. They can become better fathers as well. And then that gives them a unified and a a household that is in order. And so they can start serving in the church and start leading in the church. And um, that will make a difference at work. You know, then they can start being the men that God has called them to be and not the, the, the dirty old man sitting at the water cooler telling dirty jokes. and But a guy that people look for to uh, ha- come alongside and just have pray for them. And then uh, we want them to have an accountability partner and learn to be discipled as well as make disciples. So that's what Man Up God's Way is all about. Ben, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. good. i glad to be
2: here. I didn't think I was going to make it. I spent uh, all day yesterday in an airport and I was wondering if I was ever going to get out of Dallas, but
1: I'm here. No, no, I'm glad. glad you, so thank glad God. You, glad you made it. Was it weather or just Yeah, poor well, it planning? was. It was the weather here. Oh, okay. oh no, it
2: was the weather here. We were supposed to leave at like seven thirty-five. They grounded planes. They diverted planes coming into Dallas down to Austin for a while, and then they had to fly back in and pick us up. So we ended up being uh, having about a four, four or and a half hour delay. Yuck. Uh Which put us in at two thirty this
1: morning. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll be dead tonight. Yeah, I I will. <clears throat> you'll be dead tonight. Well, in the back, we've got Fergoza Fergosa, how you doing, brother? What a do. Awesome. Always doing well. Glad you're here. Gabe, my son, how you doing, brother? Doing pretty good. Glad you're here tonight, too. I've also got my little son back here, Paul. Paul doesn't have a mic, but he's waving. He says hi. He's cheesing at everybody. So um really excited about tonight's podcast. I got a special guest tonight I'll introduce here in just a minute. Um, but really quick, some marketing that we've got going on. Um, if you get an opportunity, you can check out our manupmerch.com. It's our website that has all of our t-shirts, our hats, coffee mugs, coffee subscription service. These, this is real bean coffee. I wish you could smell it, man. It is awesome. It smells great. And it's a great blend that we have. Uh we've got water bottles, we've got books. Um my books right there on the, the uh table. Uh you can pick up at Amazon as well. And so um that's our marketing. Yeah. That's it. Yeah t shirts, sweatshirts. T shirts, sweatshirts. This the, one good, my... the good
2: thing about the good thing about the t shirts and the sweatshirts is it's sure to start up a conversation. It sure In does. fact, when I wear mine out, you will get more women walking right by their husband that'll say something like Hey, I really like that shirt, and uh, you know, I always take it as they're giving their husband some type of a underlying that, mes- yeah, message, exactly. right? Maybe that's just yeah. me, but it's kind of like when your <laughs> wife gave you my man up. But, that's exactly yeah. right.
1: Jonathan Lutz, a uh, uh, personal trainer, uh, a Christian man that uh, reached out to me a few weeks ago, and man, we've been talking back and forth, and I'm uh, gonna have him on here maybe to get us excited about our weight. Uh, program that we're doing the bigger biggest losing program because um i'm struggling with it right now so hopefully he'll give us a kick in the butt but uh tonight um i'm excited to introduce to you guys retired lieutenant colonel chaplain jerry owens and uh he is uh with us on zoom how you doing jerry
0: good tonight great to be here
1: well, man, I'm so glad to, to have you here. Um, I'm excited to talk about your military career. Um, you had, uh, how many years did you have?
0: 28 years of active service.
1: 28 years of active service. Holy cow. Wow, that's amazing. I appreciate your service and uh, thank, you, thank you for all that you've sacrificed for our country. And um, uh, it's an honor to have you here tonight.
0: Thanks
1: for the patriotism of the American people. Amen. Yes. Amen. So, um, so how I I I met Chaplain Jerry, uh through my school. I started going back to school last year at uh, Williamson College and trying to get my uh, degree in biblical leadership and uh, my master's in theology. So it's a combined program that I'm doing. It's kind of a I wouldn't call it a fast track, but uh, it's fast. I mean, I'm doing uh, one class every five weeks. That um, man, I just, I just, it's four hours every week. Um, and so, I had the pleasure of having Chaplain Jerry as my professor last semester, and we went through the Book of Acts. And so, this was the beginning, really close to the beginning of the year, and. Um, I just come out of my elders retreat and, um, I'd already planned out my sermon series for the year. And I thought, man, this is where God's leading me. And I was going to start with the book of Romans for 2022. And, uh, man, I was all geared up for it. Cause it's a very doctrinal book. Uh, you can get into a lot of deep theology through that. And I was really excited about it. I've been studying it and, um, I'd just gone through all the Pauline epistles through my, uh, previous in 2021 school. Um, but man, uh, chaplain Jerry and I started talking about acts and our vision for our church in, um, 2022 was mission and community. And man acts just really like fit right into our mission and Romans, Romans would have been good, but man, starting with acts just really kicked in. And so that's how you and I met, uh, chaplain and, uh, man, we just had a great, um a great five weeks i loved having your class you're you're knowledgeable your greek is amazing your history um is even more amazing and i appreciate all that you taught me uh, in those five weeks and thank you for joining us again tonight i'm i I can't wait to get into the discussion (laughs) so uh why don't you tell us a little bit about um your life uh, 28 years in the military, I, I know there's a million stories that we can probably get into, and I do want to get into some of those, especially as a chaplain. You know, I was in the uh, Army in 1990. a matter of fact, I think you and I were at Fort Riley, Kansas at the same time, um, or yeah. pretty pretty close at the same time, because uh, we were talking about Timothy McVeigh, and he was, was he in your battalion?
0: He was 2nd Battalion, 216th Infantry. Uh,
1: okay, Sorry. so... I was uh, I was in the Cav Scout and I was I was like two battalions over. I, I was actually in at the same time he was and you were there at the same time. It was kind of a really small world. We'll talk a little bit about that too as well. But um, tell us, uh, just tell us your your salvation story, how you came to know the Lord, and then um, walk us all the way up to the time that you joined the army, and then we'll hop into your military career.
0: Okay. Well, and it's. I'll start in a foxhole in, uh, in Iraq uh, as a way of reflecting back on really uh, God's call on my life and, and how uh, you know, I knew him from a very young man. Uh, I had been out traveling, visiting the soldiers and doing services. I came back late that night at uh, Camp Talon, and uh, there was a, the only place I could have some privacy just to kind of pray and kind of renew my strength. Uh, was in a little dark foxhole outside my tent. And so I go down in there at night and press my face up against the sand uh, on that foxhole, and that was my prayer location. Okay. Uh, we surrounded by about 2,000 uh, soldiers all day long and all night long, you got to find a place to, to be alone with God. And so one night I was there, and I was it, in my prayer, I was just thinking about my early life, and I thought, I realized how God had prepared me for my mission to be an army chaplain and to serve a lot of a lot of years with infantry and combat arms and uh, and then being deployed for war. And you know, if I was God and gonna prepare somebody for that mission, the first thing I'd get give, given was this kind of macho dad. Uh, you know, my dad, eight brothers, grew up on a farm in Arkansas. If they weren't playing sports or bailing hay and you know, out, uh, roping the cattle, they were fighting, right? And so, and so, uh, you know, they were all pugilists. And so, as a young man, very young, age five, I mean, before I went off to kindergarten to first grade, dad had me trained. So, I walked, <laughs> I walked into school and knew how to defend myself, I, it was expected. Now, Dad was a man of faith. He went to church, and, uh, you know, he was a man of prayer. But his relationship with God was uh, fairly distant, mm. was real, and he was a, you know, he, he was a good moral man, so he was a great example. And then pray over him afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I always say, lay, uh, ha- lay hands on him in Jesus' name, yeah.
0: <laughs> Dad taught me to lay hands on him in Jesus' name. <laughs> so that was, you know, that was a part of my life. And that needed to be there because, heck, when I showed up with the infantry, they expected their chaplain to be out there with them doing everything. Right. And you now my mom's side, it was a family of preachers. My grandfather was a preacher. All my uncles on my mom's side. And, uh, you know, my mom was very active in the local church. So, you know, she taught me to pray. Dad taught me to fight. Hmm. So, uh And so I was just kind of reflecting on that as I was in the foxhole that night. And there, you know, that still small voice saying, yeah, you know, sorry, I had to kind of do that with you, with your dad, but uh, it was an important part of your training to get you ready. Wow. You know, David David had to kill the the bears and the lions when he was guarding the sheep and God was getting them ready for Goliath. And so God was getting me ready for my time serving. I mean, our first 11 years were mostly with uh, combat arms uh, units. Wow. So, uh, so now I'll jump back then to a young man of age five in a, a Pentecostal church in Cordell, Oklahoma, where dad was stationed. Dad was in the Air Force for 20 years. And so I was used to moving around. Uh, Mom would take me to her church, Assemblies of God Church. Dad would take me to the Church of Christ Church. We'd alternate uh, Sunday nights, Sunday mornings. And well, we'd go to the military chapel on Sunday morning. And then six months, we'd go to Assembly of God Church. And then we'd switch in those six months to Church of Christ. Now your dad was
1: so, a, your dad was in the military as well. Okay. I was Air Force.
0: He, okay. was, a, he was in the branch the of military. So uh, that's yeah. He asked me why I didn't coach my son's baseball team, and I said, Dad, I don't get home at three thirty.
2: <laughs> uh, 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 that sounded like a shot from across the bow.
0: Yeah, 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 there you go. So we can start it now. You know, we got to have a, a great library or it's no fun, you know? you know. Instead of walking into a bar and turn over the uh, our our uh, shot glass, we'll turn over our Bibles. Yeah, you That'll go, be yeah. a sign. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so even that. That was a part of my future as an Army chaplain because I was being exposed to the military chapels and then Church of Christ, Summers of God. And so I was getting a different perspective when it came to uh, the practical working out of, of you know the Bible, interpretation of the Bible and applying it practically to your life. So at a very young age, uh, I was active in the local church. I had a, a, a vibrant personal prayer life. Uh, that came, again, more from my mother uh, than, than my father. Although, again, my dad was always a strong, moral man, always faithful to my mom. You know, he, he you could always trust him to be an honest man, keep his word. Uh, so that stayed with me my entire life. And then when I got into my junior, senior year of high school, uh, it was an important time for me to reevaluate my own faith so that I just didn't inherit the faith of my parents. Right. And so as I was exposed to a few of my teachers and then later some of my uh, junior college professors, they really challenged my view of Genesis 1-1, and I had to begin to wrestle with uh, Darwin's origin of the species and you know the uh, theory of uh, evolution. And so there was an important time where I I wanted to believe. It wasn't like I was running from God and wanting to go out and live a, uh, you know, sex drugs and rock and roll. Right. I just genuinely wanted to believe, but I had lost that foundation temporarily, and so I spent about two years. I can remember going to bed and saying, "God, I want to believe. I want to believe that you are there and that your word is true, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm just not sure." And so it was really a prayer of, "I believe, but help my unbelief." Yeah, and so uh for two years i really went through a deep searching and i you know i asked other people i asked i talked to the to an imam and a rabbi and you know i had atheist professors and i sat down and i said okay you've challenged my faith what do you believe and they would take off on some ridiculous uh chase that made no sense at all and i'm like you believe that yeah, you know that takes more faith than, than it does for me to believe that there's a loving God who designed the world, and so uh, so anyway, after a period of a couple of years, I was able to once again firmly accept the, the revealed Word in my own experience with God I love, uh, in my own life.
1: That's great. I love what you said while well ago is that you know. I've even taught my kids this is there's going to be a certain time that they're going to have to figure out who Jesus is in their life and not just daddy's Jesus, you know, like, I've taught them the understanding of the Bible and even some religion and a relationship with Jesus that I have, but you know, for most teenagers, most kids, they're going to have to figure out who Jesus is to them. And I've seen that both in my older kids' lives, and I've still got twin 11-year-olds that I will probably see that as well, because they've got to come to that realization that, you know, they're 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 uh, a blind or a childlike faith. They're following their dad until they realize, okay, oh, that's who Jesus is. And um, I think that's what you were saying that you had. And I think that's cool. And you know, sometimes parents don't need to worry so much about getting to, you know, let sometimes their kids, you know, if you raise the bar for your kids, when they do fall, it's not near as fall, not, not near as far. So, uh, you know, yes. keep, keep good high morals for them, good boundaries for them, good, you know, and then when they do fall, like you can see when they're, and I say fall, but just even in your case, you were searching, you were like, okay, yeah. I'm hearing something that contradicts the word that I heard, okay, this is interesting to me. Let me figure this out because, uh, sin is fun for a season, you know? And when you can, when you can kinda, uh, you know, um, justify everything that you're doing, it, um, can lead you astray and um i love you know i love that you know that you just have to figure out your own jesus well, sometimes that,
2: that wisdom needs to be shared more with with christian parents yeah. because you see it all the time you see you you go to a church and you've been in a church right. for a while and you see these parents that are raising these kids and they're they, they believe in jesus but the belief is really it's what they've been exposed to mm-hmm. all this time and these parents are just sideswiped when their kids start struggling and they don't understand it and They're going to have their own walk and their own testimony.
1: And and I think a lot of times the Proverbs verse, "Train your child up in the way that should go, and they will not depart from you." That's a premise. That's not a promise. That's right. You know, like that. 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 A lot of times they're taught that that's a promise, and then all of a sudden you see, you know, these kids walk away from God, and it's like that's not the promise. The promise is is that most, you know, the premise is is most likely if you train them, they will they will not depart, or they won't go far from it. So, yeah and
2: it sounds yeah. like jerry it sounds like you didn't go far mm-hmm. you were just kind of questioning
0: yeah i mean it was and it wasn't a case of me not wanting to believe right uh, and i'm also thankful that i had a mother especially who allowed me to explore those questions and would even was willing for me to ask questions and us to on. We on a relationship and so uh uh it, it wasn't a case of me wanting to kind of explore the sensual side of life or you know is that age for a young man to kind of in fact i'll tell you my senior year of uh high school on the football team one friday night after a a game all the guys around the locker room were bragging about what they were going to be doing that weekend with their girlfriends and they were getting pretty explicit and and i had been dating a a girl uh, from my home church we've been dating about a year so the quarterback uh turns to me and says, hey, how about you, Owens? I'm like, well, you know, Jay, to be honest, I'm I'm not sleeping with my girlfriend. And yeah. the whole team surrounded me. <laughs> 40 guys surrounded me, mm-hmm. and they're making fun of me, you know, and I won't tell you everything they said, but uh, you know, bottom line was, I was like, guys, honestly, I believe that intimacy, sexual intimacy is for the lifetime commitment of marriage, and uh, so for me, I'm going to wait until I've met the right girl. And uh, we make that commitment to each other. And mm-hmm. they were all like, oh, you're crazy. And I got the nickname Spaceman after that. Oh. So the rest of the year, my nickname was Spaceman.
1: Because <laughs> you're from in outer space?
0: Some, <laughs> yeah, I was from outer space. It was in Southern California in 1977, you know, it was a very different culture there. Mm-hmm. So even as I was struggling with the certainty of my faith, I still have the teaching of my parents and the scripture that was there to help protect me. And uh, what's interesting is some of those friends have since called me. And they said, Jerry, you were right. Because they're on their second, third, fourth marriage. Mm. And 40 years into my marriage because those foundations uh, were laid and, and protected. Those boundaries protected uh, my my life. So Praise uh, God,
1: that's all awesome. you
2: know what's funny about that story you just told is that uh, I was listening to a sermon one time uh, by Alistair Begg, and he was talking about Ephesians five. And he said, I want you to pick he goes, you could pick the most important corporate meeting that you'll ever go into. And you can go into that meeting and dress like a Viking. And you will not get the type of negative response that you will if you walked into that meeting and you looked at everybody and said, I'm going to love my wife like Christ loves the church, or I'm going to mm-hmm. submit to my husband. Right. He said they will extricate you.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's just funny
2: because that, it, that, it sounds just like the story you just
1: told.
0: That's good. Yeah. Well, the, the rest of that story was then the following uh, Monday we saw a film and then Tuesday we have a scrimmage. And uh I was still mad from Friday night. I mean, the thing they said about me, I was just, you know, angry. And so I was I was a heat-seeking missile. I just want I just wanted to hit somebody. And so about a third of the way through practice, the coach calls everybody He said, Oh, let's come over here. He said, Man, you're playing some good football today. What is going on? And I told him what happened Friday night. So he pulls the whole team together. He says, Every Friday night I want you to make fun of Owens <laughs> so funny
1: that's great it's kind of like the
2: water boy yeah <laughs> yeah you remember yeah. the movie the water Boy? yeah
0: exactly yeah exactly so uh that's uh, good so the next kind of in terms of formation to my faith, uh as i was in my senior year of high school uh i always loved math and science and so i uh was contacted by the air force to see if i wanted to uh, take a four-year scholarship through the ROTC program at the Air Force and go to an engineering school. And uh, you know, my parents were middle class, and we're going to have a, a tough time helping with college, so that seemed a great way to do it. And so uh, I sign up, and uh, I tell my parents, and they're like, you know, you're only going to be 17 when you start your freshman year of college. And uh, they said, why don't you take one year at junior college first? I'm like, Mom, Dad, they're going to pay for my college. They're like, well, see if they'll start you as a sophomore. So I call up my recruiter. He says, absolutely. We'd love you to start as a sophomore. You save us a year of uh, your tuition, and we get to look at you for a year. We want you to take physics and uh, calculus your freshman year, right. show us you wishful to be there, and uh, then you can come in as a sophomore. So I, I say, okay. I tell my parents that, you know, that works. And so uh, – My dad, who worked for the Wyoming School District uh, after he retired from the military, got me a job as they had a program where if you worked uh, from roughly 4 to 7.30 at night, uh, you got a decent chunk of change when you're living at home. And uh, then I'd go to school during the day. Uh, So that was the plan. Well, I'd be working there alone at night at Haycox Elementary School, cleaning all the rooms, sweeping all the rooms. And I would play tapes of the Bible or Christian music or Fiddler on the Roof, whatever. I'd play something. And I begin to have this conversation. And I begin to argue with God, hmm. saying, I don't want to be a preacher. <laughs> you know, I just, no, it just doesn't fit me. No way. And I tell my mom, and she says, well, who's asking you to be a preacher? I'm like, well, I hadn't really thought of that. She said, well, ask. Tomorrow, when, you're, when that voice comes, ask. Say, God, is this you? And so I did, and I realized that God was asking me to to do something other than go in the Air Force. And so uh talked with my pastor, talked with my parents, and I made a decision to go to Bible College uh, up in Santa Cruz Mountains, Bethany Bible College. Uh, and uh, it was there that I began to wrestle with— uh, Going into full time ministry, mm. so and then an important thing happened was one of my professors, and I think I shared this with you, Professor Rick Howard, right. Pastor in California. He said, "If you can do anything else with your life, be a full time pastor. Do it." <laughs> yeah. So, you
3: know,
0: yeah, I'm, you know, sitting in class. I'm like, huh, he means that. So I invite him out for lunch, and I ask him if he really means that, and. Professor Howard looks at me, and he says, Jerry, you're going to make a decision based upon how I answer this, aren't you? I said, yes, sir. He lowered his head, and I could kind of see him thinking praying, and praying. He looked up with tears in his eyes, and he says, Jerry, if you can do anything else with your life, but be a, a full-time, going to full-time ministry, he said, do it. Mm-hmm. I said, all right, all right. So I called my soon-to-be fiancé and told her about the conversation. And so I applied with the Air Force to be a navigator. Coming out of Papa College, I applied with the Air Force. And uh, so I come home, get married, and uh, I'm waiting to hear from the Air Force. They say no.
1: Oh, no kidding.
0: Yeah, they say no. So uh, my wife's working at Bank of America. I'm working for the school. District. The Marine Corps calls me up. And they say, would you like to be an officer of Marine?" I'm like, Excuse me? They said, Well, the Air Force sent us your uh, packet. And uh, I said well, why would you want me? i I went to Bible college. They didn't train me at Bible college how to kill people. And webcasting uh, <laughs> if you want. But they're like, No, 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 it says here you let it enough football and baseball and and you're not very smart. That's what we're looking for, athletic and dumb.
1: <laughs> There's the next job. <laughs>
0: No, I've hit the Air Force, I've hit the Marine. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, that's
1: awesome. so I
0: signed up. I literally signed up. I went down, he took me out and had me run three miles and had to do it in twenty one minutes for last, you know, the whole thing. I had to do the Marine Corps physical. And my wife comes home from work and I said, Guess what, honey? I just joined the Marine Corps. Oh, She's whoa. like, she said, Don't you think you should talk to me about this kind of stuff? I said, no, I have this house. What do you? train me yet at that point so i'm running to work i I leave my car at the home i run to my job it's a couple miles i run back i'm working out getting ready to leave for officer training school and uh it's now friday night i'm supposed to leave for officer training school monday Mm. and my wife and i go to bed that night she falls asleep and I'm laying in bed and a sermon just starts running through my mind. But I mean, it's just, I, I got the introduction, the three points. I mean, I'm thinking of the conclusion. I'm like, what, what is going on? I get up and go into the living room. I'm behind the couch there. And it's one of those wrestling matches to where I feel God saying, I need you to go be, go to seminary, be a chaplain. And I'm like, well, Lord, I just signed a contract with the Marine Corps and, uh, so we wrestled a little bit more. And finally, I said, okay, God, if you get me out of that, I'll quit my job. And, you know, I'll talk to my wife first this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, cha-
2: that's chapter one yeah. in the Man Up book, Jerry, just so <laughs> yeah, you know.
0: <laughs> so so uh, she wakes up Saturday morning, and I said, I had the most unusual conversation last night. I, I believe God is asking me to go to be a chaplain. But I said, I let him know I've got a contract with the uh, Marine Corps, as if he didn't know. You know, and I know he was surprised. And, uh, and she says, well, what does it mean? And I said, I don't know what it means. I, I guess it means I leave on Monday to go to the Marine Corps. The phone rings, literally, after that conversation, wow. within six minutes. It's my recruiter. He said, I need you to come down here and sign a new contract. I'm like, excuse me? I go on Monday. He said, well, since you were signed up later, meaning, you know, we didn't really want you that bad, but you you were at the bottom of the barrel, (laughs) and uh, we need you to come and sign a new contract because your school has been moved for three months later because they cut the quarters in half. And I said, are you telling me that my contract is now null and void? And then he started kind of getting mad at me. And he's like, well, yes, that's why you need to come down there and sign a new one. I said, well, you're not going to understand this, but I'm not going to be able to do that. And then he said things about my mama that are not true. <laughs> I turned to my wife and I said, she said, who was that? I said, that was the Marine Corps. My contract is broken and I'm not going to sign a new one because, honey, we're going to Springfield, Missouri to go to seminary because that's where the somebody's of God Commission on Chaplains is located. That's where our seminary is. And so that was it. That was how, and so... Again, what I would say is, first off, I wanted to be obedient. It was never a case of me trying to run from God. Uh, it was my heart's desire to really do what I felt he was asking me to do in life. And I just kept making decisions as I went along. And he just kind of, you could just tell, he would just turn the will whichever direction it needed to go. Right. And so, so that's kind of the, how I went from just you know, coming from a very, uh, a home that, uh, rather than saying they were Christians, I would say they were Christ followers. I good. prefer that term.
1: That's a, good. So, 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 you came from, you came from California to Springfield, uh, you finished yeah. seminary and then is that when you went into the army? Here's
0: what <clears throat> Here's what it takes to be a military chaplain. You have to do your undergraduate. You have to get a, Masters of Divinity, which normally takes about two to three years, depending mm-hmm. on where you go and what you did for your undergraduate work. Then you are required to go serve as a senior pastor for two years.
3: Oh, my goodness. So it
0: takes about nine years to be a chaplain. Uh, so it's a long course. And that's why maybe God doesn't really ask you to do it toward, till the end. Because if he ask you at the beginning, you'd be like, nine years. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's a pharmacist.
3: Yeah. yeah. Kind of <laughs>
0: like a So it's one step at a time guidance so that you don't get discouraged. Uh, so, so
1: are you a senior? So pa- as we become, I was going to say, so yeah. is it two year senior pastor on base? Yes. Okay.
0: No. Oh, at yeah. Church. So, you know, as a, seminary, you know, I'm 26 when I graduate from seminary, the assemblies of God have about three ministers for every church. Mm. So. You Know when you're 26 years old looking to be a senior pastor in the Sons of God Church, good luck on that one, right? That's that's going to take a miracle. Well, I did get I did, you know one of those events, and so I took a whole missions church in Morro Bay, California, and uh, that's an interesting story in itself, but I'll save that for another time. How's that?
1: <laughs> that sounds good. Wow, um, so we
0: went there for years, and uh, you know, my poor wife who did not go to Bible college and seminary and had just grown up in the church. Uh, She was shocked when at age 24, she is now the pastor's wife. Mm. Was not ready for that.
1: Yeah. I don't think any wife is ready for it. It's, you know, your, your professor who asked you, you know, or told you if you could ever find another job outside of being a full-time pastor. I mean, I, I get why he says that it's not an easy job. It's not for everybody that needs to step up, you know, that, you know, there, there are people who are called to preach, but they're not called to pastor. And that's a, there, there's a big, big difference there. And even bigger is the wife that's behind you. Like that's, that's key. I mean, if it wasn't for my wife, there's no way I'd make it number one. Um yeah. And I can't imagine her being 24 years old and stepping into, you know, the pastor's wife at at that age. Oh my goodness! I can't imagine the stories you guys have from that.
0: It was a, it was an interesting two years to say the least, and, and again, they were great people, and a lot of them understood. I was honest with them up front. I see, you know, the the district official, who, who said when you go try out for that church, don't tell them you're only planning on staying two years. And I was like, no, sir, I, I want to be honest with them up front. And most of them were like, yeah, we're glad you're only going to be here two years. So that's a <laughs> that's a plus. That can really- here in two years and uh, but, uh, there were some people in the church that really took me under their wing and they had been elders and helped plant churches and now they were retired and some of them in their 70s and 80s and they took me under their wing and and were very kind and loving and then as god well intended i had to deal with my the dragons the well-intended dragons uh who took no took every opportunity to uh uh, find a way to insult me or criticize me. I'll tell you the best one, just one. <clears throat> Brother Frank Wild, retired Marine from Arkansas, is retired and living in Moral Bay, California. Every day he would find, every Sunday he would <laughs> give me a good solid critique. Yeah. That's something I did. So I finally go active duty for Roddy, Kansas. So now it's two years later. He calls me up in California and he says, I'm going to be passing through. Can we stay the night? At you? with you guys at, at Fort Riley, Kansas. I'm like, sure, Frank, brother Frank, come on. So he stays, him and his wife, uh, Tulip, Battleaxe Tulip. Uh, <laughs> I mean, she was as broad as she was tall. Uh, he was a true Pentecostal, no makeup, hair in a bun, <laughs> I mean, wearing the gunny sack. You know, I mean, she was, you know, oh my uh, a hell alive. And uh, so they show up at uh, Fort Riley, stay with us, and he comes to church with me. He comes to the chapel Sunday morning. We're walking out of the chapel, and I turn to Brother Frank. I say, Frank, how's your new pastor working out? He says, Jerry, he reminds me a lot of you. <laughs> Can't preach his way out of a paper bag. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Frank, only you would drive halfway across the United States to insult
1: Just me. Just insult you. Oh, my That's goodness. <laughs>
0: Oh, you know I love your Pastor Owens. I'm like, yeah, with love like that, man. Who needs yeah. enemies? Yeah.
1: Right. I, I had an old guy come up to me one time. He handed me his watch, and he said, "Put this on the pulpit because you can't seem to figure out what time you're supposed to quit preaching." <laughs> I was uh, like, "Oh my gosh, yeah they they uh they they come at you hard, don't they?" <laughs> I
0: had a. I'm switching into some of the story, the chapel stories. I had a again, a retired sergeant major when I was at Fort Lee, Virginia. And uh, and he expected a service to be over in 60 minutes, not 60 minutes and five seconds, 60 minutes. And so in this chapel, you would have to go down the center, up toward the pulpit, turn left to go down and get your donuts and coffee after the service. And so no matter who was preaching or whatever the service, he would always get up just a couple more minutes before the service was supposed to end and make a lot of noise. <laughs> He'd stand up, walk right down the middle of that church with about 250 people, turn left, walk in front of the pulpit, look up, you know, like, and so let's wrap this thing up and go down and give his donuts. <laughs> so I'm thinking, how, how do I deal with this? What, what's the strategy here? So I wait. I know he's getting ready to get up. I wait. Just as he stands up and starts, I give an altar call.
1: Oh, there you go. That um, was setting down real quick. Oh, yeah, the
0: whole church was, they, were, they were laughing so hard, they were crying. Uh, oh, Sergeant Andrew, I'm glad you stood up. You know, the sinners are coming forward. You know. <laughs> awesome.
3: That's
1: awesome. That is awesome. So you finished seminary and then um, you, what year? Okay, so you passed for two years. All right. And then yeah. you finished that and you followed the plan that. Either yeah, though. what
0: happened was you have to get endorsed, so you are you have to be ordained, and you're already a, commissioned as a reserve. I was a reserve Air Force chaplain because I don't know what my dad did, and then you go back to get endorsed for active duty. So Pam and I flew to spring from Missouri. We meet with the chaplain board, and they have Navy, Air Force, Army, and then they have a Marine Corps, which is Department of the Navy, but it's still they kind of have their own recruiter. They ask you, you go in before the board, it's very intimidating, you know, and uh, you go in there and they ask you, okay, what do you, you know, what do you believe God is calling you to? And I said, well, I'll be honest, I'm going to choose Air Force because I really believe they treat my, the family better. Uh, I know the Army and Marine Corps are tougher on your family and certainly mm. Navy with your, your six months out and back. And uh, they really like Pam." And, uh, and then they said, uh, well, what are you doing right now? And I said, well, I'm senior pastor of, of a church. And they said, do "You you right now? I said, yes, sir. That's what I'm required to do. They said, well, the last three guys that just came through are youth pastors or assistant pastors, and they still want to be endorsed. I'm like, okay. You know, <laughs> you guys are charge, on me. And they said, well, they said, uh, and then the Navy guy says, well, would you consider the Navy? And then the Marine Corps guy says, How about the Marine Corps? And the Army guy says, What about the Army? I'm like, What? Uh, I didn't. I thought you just had to choose one. They said, Well, you do. I said, Well, then I choose Air Force. And so Pam and I get up to go, and they say, We're going to endorse you for all four of them. Oh, no. Yeah. They said, So you can decide whichever one comes open first, if that's what you want to do, do it. I'm like, Can you do that? They said, Well, we're in charge. I said, okay. That's so I go awesome. back. That's yeah. awesome. So I go back to California. I finish up my last couple of months there. I get a call from the Army and they say, we need somebody at Fort Riley, Kansas. We need an infantry chaplain. And can you do it? I said, I turned my wife. I said, Are you ready to be in the Army? And she's thinking to herself, Well, I've been in combat for two years here at this church. I might <laughs> yeah,
1: as well. She's prepared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now how did uh, did you have to go you didn't have to go through boot camp or um, officer uh, candidate school or anything It's
0: uh, called Chaplain Officer Basic Course Chobik Okay So you go to Chobik for a couple months they get you you show up with a uniform and they that all the people in charge are just hoping that you can get from the bus To where you're supposed to be without doing something stupid, they just tell you salute anything that moves.
1: That's funny.
0: (laughs) Get off the bus. Uh, You're just saluting while trying to get to where you're supposed to be, and then they start telling you because you don't know very much.
1: So, so I'm thinking now. I understand where the military is now today. Um, You know, back then, I mean, was it still? kind of an evangelical mindset for chaplains, because now you've got a, a hodgepodge of everything.
0: Uh, at, at that point, they had, army had just gone to what was called forward thrust doctrine.
3: Okay.
0: And chaplains were now being assigned to down to the battalion level. Before that, like Vietnam, they were assigned at regimental level. So a regiment using two to three battalions and you'd have a regimental chaplain who would just kind of, float among those three battalions and the army was like no 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 we need chaplains down in embedded into the battalion training with them doing pt with them jumping out of birds with them you know whatever the soldiers mm. doing. doing down in there and so suddenly the gates exploded where they were needing a bunch of chapels and that was when i was coming on active duty and so uh uh that really changed even the way we train chaplains. so suddenly they had to give us what they call greener they had to teach us how to integrate into uh an operational you know battlefield Mm. we needed to know how to move and how to communicate how to know what was going on left right flank forward how to move uh you know we got humvees night vision goggles uh you know i had to I'd let the soldiers camel me up and they'd always draw a cross. After they cameled my whole face, they'd put a cross front on my forehead. That's but cool. up until then there had been quotas. In other words, you would take the percentage of churches in America and the population of those people attending, and you would say, Okay, we can have twenty-four Baptists and eight Pentecost. You know, it was a quota system. But once we went to Forward Trust, for they were like, we just need chaplains. Mm. So anybody who's got the education and got the experience and is willing to go get shot at, yes, we'll take it. And so we suddenly went from, we went up to 14, 1,500 chaplains in the Army uh, at that point. And it's, and it's we, pretty it's much
1: like, all denomina- all denominations and faiths, yes. right?
0: All well, faiths. And, uh, uh, yeah, and, and in fact, if you kind of want to transition and start talking about the chaplaincy in particular. So what I learned yeah, I at would, the chaplaincy, yeah. At the chaplain officer basic course, what they're wanting to teach us first is how to read a five-paragraph operations order and understand the mission of a division and each of the units within the division, how we operate a platoon, company, battalion level, task force level. So they, they need to get us smart on all that. And since I had a love of history and I loved, uh, war wargaming as a hobby, for me, that was all exciting. Mm-hmm. I loved all that. Uh, some of the chaplains, not as much, but for me, that was I, it was like hitting a, a, a sweet spot on the baseball bat when we were doing all that. Uh, you know, when they put us through the obstacle course and then they put us through a course where they were calling in pyrotech uh, pyrotechnics. So you had explosions all around you and, you know, they had, they were firing machine guns, uh, you know, above us. So we mm-hmm. didn't have to stay unless we wanted a very short career. And, yeah, uh, exactly.
1: The tracer rounds. Yeah. That I remember
0: those. Wild! I'm like, this is awesome, man. Yeah. They're paying me to do this, so uh, so I'm doing all that. But then they start trying to explain to us our mission as chaplains in uh, in a unit. And you know, one of the things is is we're the crisis intervention guys. If there's a domestic violence or suicide uh, ideation, and you know, whatever kind of a social problem is happening in the battalion, we're the ones who go in and deal with it. And uh, and then we obviously hold the services, but we have to provide for the free exercise for everybody so not just protestants i mean i had to make sure the catholics were taken care of and i had to make sure if i had a a couple of wiccans in my battalion or in the brigade i might talk to the brigade chaplain and say i've got three wiccans in my uh, i mean i had a soldier come to me and he says uh i i need to find a covet i said mm. a what a coven, he said. You know, for satanic worship, and I'm like, well, let me check the phone book. <laughs> I doesn't list, doesn't list any coven's in the phone book. He says, well, you're my battalion chaplain, so you've got to find one. So I start asking questions. I, you know, he comes back every day. You know, where's my coven at? And I'm like, I haven't been able to find one. I apologize. And finally, a week later, he said, I found I found a coven. There's one in Junction City. I said, oh, OK, well, can you give me a point of contact and I'll write it down and keep it in my battle book. So if another, you know, Satan worshiper wants to find a coven, I'll know where there is one. He said, no, I can't tell you. I said, why not? He said, "Well, it's secret. <laughs> well, no wonder I couldn't find it. <laughs> what am <I> supposed <laughs> to do? You know, climb up at night, and crawl through Junction City and find all the secret covens? Yeah. You know?
1: J- Junction City used to be like the um, uh, speed and ticket capital of the world.
0: That's where all the stab and jabs were.
1: Oh, is that where that, okay, the stab and jabs, okay. That's
0: where all the stab and jabs were. Yeah, going, yeah just,
1: going from base to Junction City to Manhattan, um, there, that, there yeah. was a speed trap right there. I remember that uh, in in Junction City.
0: So so the big thing is they teach the chaplains uh, uh, collaboration without compromise. So they, they would never ask me to do something that was a clear violation of my faith. So, for instance, they would never make me uh, – the perfect example would be in the Assemblies of God, I'm not not allowed to, to do a marriage for someone who's been divorced. Hmm. And whether you agree with that or not, theologically, that's our denominational position. And since I was endorsed by the Assemblies of God, then they would not expect me to do something like that. And so uh, what I would have to do then is find a chaplain who would be willing to do that. And so you made friends with other chaplains and you had the baby baptizers and the non baby baptizers, for instance. And uh, right. uh, what's funny is is when I initially came in the army and just come out of a Summers of God seminary and just pastored a Summers of God Church, my my theology was a lot tighter. But after working with other chaplains, serving on them with the battlefield, you begin to to kind of ask people what things mean to them. So I think I, get, I think I told you about the time when one of my uh, – we had a two-story general, his uh, administrative assistant. I told you where she was killed. Right. I heard her killed. And so uh, she asked me to do a Catholic funeral. I'm like, uh, I'm not allowed to do a Catholic funeral. And uh, but she said, about you're my pastor. I want you – you're my chaplain. I want you to do it. So I went to the priest, Father Carey. And I asked Father Kerry, uh, what makes something a Catholic funeral? And then he kind of explained, you know, the the, the holy water and yeah. the incense and all the, the certain prayers you pray. So I went back and I asked Patty. I said, well, tell me what the incense means to you. She said, well, that's our prayers going up before God. I said, well, we agree on that. Our prayers go up before God. I said, well, what does the holy water mean? She said, oh, that's God's protection. And then I read the prayers that she wanted me to read, and all of it was prayers that I was comfortable with. And so Father Carey took me over to the chapel and showed me how to light the incense and swing the, the little censer and how to do the holy water. And we we did a funeral for that command, and I did it for Patty. And uh, I remember one of the moments in that funeral, uh, after I had done the, the holy water on the casket, or the water on mm-hmm. the casket, you know, I would decide whether it's holy or not, but yeah. it's coming from it, wasn't holy. Yeah. So uh, I did the water on the casket. Well, she went over and draped herself over the casket and just began to weep. And so uh, and I turned to the congregation and I said, look, we're here to support Patty, to give her an opportunity to grieve and to and to encourage her faith, give her hope. Mm-hmm. I said, let's just take the next five minutes and let's just pray for her as a congregation so i had most the catholics there and they just you could see them begin to pray for her and uh, and then finally after a period of time she kind of she was like okay you can take the casket mm-hmm. out afterwards i got a lot of feedback from some of the catholics that that was one of the most meaningful funerals i'd ever been to uh
1: you, you throw <laughs> a little evangelical in with the the
3: rote
0: yeah blending of the traditions taking the best mm-hmm. from our different traditions that were consistent with scripture so what what
1: was your um responsibility and or could you proselyte other faiths i meant you know knowing what you know about the gospel and you're you're called to share the gospel were you were you encouraged to do to do that not to do that like what was there a fine line in, in doing that of, you know, the, the Wiccan, I'm thinking of the Wiccan or someone who's Muslim or, you know, um, someone who's got some other funky religion.
0: My goal was again, the paraclete as God who is beside me wherever I went, he was beside me. So you were bringing God into places to where he might not have otherwise been invited. Mm. So, uh, I mean, just going right back to Fort Riley, Kansas, my very first assignment, 2nd Battalion, 16th infantry. The, uh, we were having a problem with our soldiers going down into Junction City, and they would be, they would fall in love with some of the strippers and the, the girls working the bars. And then when they would go to the field, uh, the girl didn't quit her job, and so, you know, there were people who were getting soldiers were getting in fights with golf clubs, and uh, and so the sergeant major and the first sergeants came to me and said, "Chaplain, chaplain, chaplain, you got to do something about this." And they said, "Why don't you do one of your uh, uh, your soldier breakfasts? We'll do it for a company. We'll bring in a whole company of soldiers." I said, "What well, can I lead them on PT first? Can I stretch them out, take them on a run, and when we get back, you guys mermite over the breakfast?" and uh, we we'll will do, do a class. I'll call it Living in a Sexy World. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, Chaplain. And so you would take the presenting problem, the social problem, and you would bring the gospel into it in a common sense way.
3: Yeah. And so
0: I used to, you know, just in, without going into too much detail, uh, I would put up a butcher board of, what are you looking for in a woman? And I would, I'd, I'd picture one at the infantry would be like, yeah, oh that's who I want. You know? And then I'd say, really? Is that really the kind of woman you want? Or I said, would you really like a maybe a long-term relationship with a healthy woman that you would respect to be the, the mother of your children? And they'd be like, well yeah. I said, okay, what? Well, let's list the traits of that kind of a woman. Where would you meet her? Would you meet her at a bar or would you meet her in church? And they'd be like Hmm, yeah, well, yeah, probably church chaplain. And, uh, and then I'd say, okay, here's the list of the woman. You know, they helped me do all the lists. I'd say, you really tell me about a woman that you'd want to spend the rest of your life with and be the, be the mother of your children. And they, they'd come through a list that would be right out of the fruit of the spirit. Yeah, you know? that's great. Have it all yeah. And then I'd say, okay, now, is there a switch that you flip as a young man? That suddenly turns you into the kind of person that a woman would want. Because if she's going to be like that, what should you be like? And it would be the same kind of list. Mm. It'd be well, persevering, you know. It'd be a whole list of gentle and kind and you know thoughtful, and you know they'd make that list. I said, do you flip, flip a switch and become that person? To make a soldier, you don't just flip a switch. You got to go out and do PTA every morning, and train on your good. weapons, build you know, the strength and the character and the courage to be a soldier. Same with the father and a husband. You got to start building it now. Hmm. And uh, you could just see the light bulbs going on. Right. So you can bring the gospel into their lives in a very practical way. So, no, I never felt a limitation.
3: Okay. I wasn't going to get there
0: saying, you need to accept Jesus today. Hmm. Because they wouldn't even know what that meant. Right. The first thing I did in the field was I said, can I tell you a story so that you understand when I say God, you know what I'm talking about. Because they had no clue. Again, I think I shared this with you and we were move to the book of Acts.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, yeah, I it for everybody else.
1: Yes. Please share that. Yes. All
0: right. So that's the, so I would just, you know, I'd be in the field in Germany for two and a half, three, three months. We go to Hohenfels and go to the ranges. My poor wife would be left at home with, uh, both of our kids who were like eight, two and four, uh, and I'd come back and she'd be exhausted. So I'd send her off with her friends to go someplace in Germany and have some fun. They would go whitewater, rafting on the Danube River, go to the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang Castle over in the Neuschwanstein. Mm. So And so I'd watch my two kids. So I had been with them all day Saturday from first time they woke up in the morning till now it's about 8 o'clock at night. I was exhausted, ready to go back there and the eat MREs again. <laughs> Sleeping I mean, we were like little devils all day long. Dad, da, da, da. And so I finally got them to bed, and, and uh, I had about an hour to myself. So now about 9 o'clock, I'm going to go to bed. Well, I walk into my kid's bedroom, and Chelsea, my daughter, had got out of bed and got into bed with Chase. And their heads were both on the pillow together, and there was light coming from the street lamp. The departed curtain w- windows and bathed their faces in golden light they looked like two little angels after they'd been devils all day long and as i stood in the shadows of that room it was a this such a strong feeling washed over me and i looked and, and realized where there was no life now there was life mm-hmm. because of my love for my wife these were these two little beings that were in my image and I realized that there was no place that ever go in all creation where I wouldn't want to be their father. So I loved them. Even if they were, were serial killers, I would hunt them down, go into the prison and say, that's not who I, I created you to be.
3: Mm.
0: And so as I was thinking those thoughts, I literally felt Paraclete step up behind me, put his hand on my shoulder and say, Jerry, the way you felt about your children, and that's the way I felt about you. That there's no place to ever go in all the creation. I won't seek you out and find you that you are in my image, that I gave you life. Mm-hmm. And that was, after all my theology, seminary, everything, that was the moment where I understood the heart of God. Mm-hmm. I have told that story to every soldier I have ever served in 28 years. And you'd be amazed that the ones that have, they will come back to you later and say, I never knew God was like that. Mm-hmm. And so that was the, I had to start. So am I Am I, Am I? I trying to proselytize? Yes, I want them to know the heart of God. Mm. And did the army ever tell me I couldn't do that? No. They were begging me to do that. That's great. And that became the starting point. That became a starting point for a conversation. And then you just respect the soldier's right to ask questions and move it in the direction that they want to go.
1: Mm. That's good. So, what, yeah. what, what do you see, um, or what did you see, like, you know statistics talk about you know the 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 I call them kids but they're young men at 18 to 25 years old and you know probably 75 percent of them didn't even have a dad um, probably higher percentage of that didn't even go to church maybe a little spotty when they were younger um, I know for me um, a matter of fact I found my dog tags not too long ago and I'd forgotten that I'd put them in a drawer and Actually, my wife had them, and then my son wanted to wear them. And I was looking at the dog tags, and my religious preference was um, uh, I didn't have one. I, I can't remember what they uh, called it.
0: The, uh, the soldiers would put uh, their favorite beverage uh, on, okay. the uh, on
1: the dog tag. Yeah, so mine, mine just said, like, no, none or so, I can't remember what it said, but it, yeah, no, religious no, no religious preference. It said no preference. That's what it said. That broke my heart to think that, you know, here I am eighteen, nineteen years old, joining the army, you know, and I was I was training myself to be an atheist at the time. Going in, I got uh I graduated boot camp July thirty first. Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait August second. I got married August fourth. Oh. I traveled to Fort Riley, Kansas August sixth. Um I got there, got we got our place in little Manhattan, Kansas um we went to the field for 45 days <laughs> like literally a week later and you know i just think back to and then you know everything just kind of went really really fast starting the war and i just remember thinking i i, I now i'm thinking like like if i would have died i'd have been in hell like i just i can't believe that you know we're letting our our young men and you know the the parents are allowing them just to to go off like that and not given some kind of guidance. Like, go ahead. So, so that's that's a
2: good segue into something that I want. That's a fabulous segue into something that I really wanted to hit on with you tonight, uh, Colonel. Because I I don't ever watch the news, uh, very little. Maybe I go on foxnews.com dot com during the day and just kind of piddle around. But this and the, this what I'm going to talk to you about is not about this Ukrainian war, but what I'm noticing that I didn't notice, I was in the Air Force. I was stationed in Elmendorf Air Force Base, Alaska. Uh, I, was oh, a co- okay. I was a cop. So I was in the gotcha. security squadron, but I was on the law enforcement side. Gotcha. I went in in 91. We, we deployed a bunch of people, not a bunch, but enough of the security forces to Desert Storm that yes. there was enough of them that came back. And when I was young, I didn't notice any difference in their, in their countenance. Right, but what, what, what I'm watching the news now, and they're interviewing these people over in Ukraine. Their faces are sunken in. They're pale. You can see that anxiety and worry and fear yeah. are overcoming them. Even the leader mm-hmm. of the country doesn't look like he did three weeks ago. And right. so, as I was as I was researching uh, you today, I, I saw an article from and the, from the army. Uh, back in like 2013, you were doing some suicide prevention training. And so right. I just kind of wanted you to comment tonight on what what you saw during wartime. Obviously, there the PTSD, there's a lot more science and stuff it is now. But to go along with what mm. Jody said about not just counseling young men that don't believe, but also young men that may or may not believe that are going through a very, very, very trying time that really I don't think we're meant
0: as human beings to go through. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that we started. And again, I, I just know it from my experience, what came before me, I don't know, but at least by uh, the early nineties, we were starting to do something called critical incident stress debriefings. And uh, basically you, like well, as people were coming back from Iraq, uh, even during the surge, before we would release them to go back to their families, they were required to go through this these classes. So, for instance, after nine one one happened, the mortuary affairs uh, guys, military mortuary affairs, that had to go to New York and literally pick up the, the bodies. And then match the bodies to personal effects, like pictures and watches and stuff down at Dover uh, Air Force Base. So they actually, we told them, don't ever do that again. Don't have the same guys to pick up the bodies, go down there and match the bodies to the pictures. Uh, That was one of the things we learned from that. But uh, since the Mortuary Affairs were trained and stationed out of Fort Lee, Virginia, and I was there, I was one of the chaplains who did the critical incident distress debriefings for Those individuals. So, what we would do is bring in a platoon sized group of soldiers, roughly 24, 25 uh, soldiers, and we would take them through what was called uh, fact thought filling process. Have you ever heard that term? Mm -hmm. Did you ever go through that yourself? As a group, just talk about what happened. What did you see from your foxhole? Mm. And what happens is that helps you give a bigger picture because not everybody sees the left flank or the right flank or what's going on. So you do. And you kind of get the whole group to say, okay, what are we missing? What do you need to put up there? And uh, so that helps them get a uh, a you know common operating picture, a cop, mm. where they can see what happened on the battlefield or uh, what happened in New York when the buildings went down. So then you ask them to start talking about their thoughts, and you have to stop them from sharing their feelings because they want to go right into feelings. You say, no, no, no. Process your thoughts, talk about what you were thinking. And that's where you begin to see anger, fear, anxiety, uh, disappointment, frustration, sadness. You, know, you, you get a whole list of feelings. Or I'm sorry, I, I jumped ahead.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. You get them. The, the most common thing is anger you know, a a loss of control. Uh, So you just get them to process their thoughts. And then you say, okay, let's explore feelings. And that can be, I mean, that can be tough. Because we, you know, sometimes people will get so upset that they leave the room and we send a buddy with them. We have have to have extra people there to go off with somebody Mm -hmm. and then bring them back to the group. So once we go through the event that happened, the thoughts and the feelings, then you say, the, as a chaplain, you say the thoughts and feelings are normal. What's not normal is the experience.
3: Mm.
0: You know, you don't scrape bodies out of buildings most days of your life, you don't get up and get shot wow. at. Your friends, you know, gapping. You know, I had a, a chaplain who wound up with a, a unexploded rocket a grenade in his, in his side of his ribcage. Wow. And, yeah. I mean, not my chaplain assistant, another chaplain friend of mine is, you know, that's not most Mondays. You don't have a, your one of your friends have an unexploded grenade in their chest cavity. Yeah, that's
1: you not know. that's not normal daily life. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, at least I hope it's not. Maybe if you live in some inner cities, but uh we're yeah. in Chicago. Yeah. But uh, uh, so you you really kind of really keep hammering that until they begin to realize There's nothing wrong with you because you're thinking these things and having these feelings. Mm -hmm. Uh, The despair and the anger and all of that, that's normal. And it's even okay to be angry at God. That's a normal look. You you can show them in Scripture. I would. I'd show them here where they were angry with God. Mm -hmm. So I said, "That's, that's normal. What's not normal is the experience. Then you say, okay, how do you process it? What are some unhealthy ways to process it? And then they'll go through all the things that they're doing. You know, they're going out, driving 100 miles an hour on a motorcycle. They're chugging beers every night, getting drunk. They're, you know, you can do the list of all the sins in the Bible, you know, that are not healthy. That's what they're doing. And then you say, well, what are some healthy ways to process it? And that's where you get in to go for a walk in nature or lift weights, go run and release healthy endorphins, pray, worship reading scripture. We, read, you know, talk to somebody. So that was how we responded to the fact that every, well, just to show you how far it goes back. This is not new. When I came back from desert storm, I went to visit my uncle Garland who had been win, wounded in Normandy and in Italy mm. in world war II as an infantryman with the with a uh, big red one for Riley, Kansas. And uh, when I went to his house after desert storm, uh, my wife and I went in, my Aunt Bea, my Uncle Garland, and he grabs me and said, hey, Jerry, let's go for a walk. And so we walk out his back door, across his farm, uh, a couple of acres to get to some woods. took us about 10 minutes to get there, get there. He never said a word. We walked in total silence for 10 minutes. We got to the woods. He turned around me and hugged me, and he cried for 30 minutes. Mm. Sob, shook his body. And then he pushed me away. He looked at me and says, Jerry, you understand. And then we walked back in total silence. So he'd been carrying that from 1945 oh until 1994 Wow! when I'd come back. That's how many years. So they suffered in silence, never had a chance. So uh, so we were recognizing what we call, I prefer the term post-traumatic stress reaction. Everybody has a post-traumatic stress reaction. Pastors live with post Dramatic stress reactions. Mm. That's a part of your life. Whether it becomes a disorder or not is all about whether you're processing in healthy ways. Are you taking a sabbatical? Do you have someone you can talk and pray with? Do you have healthy habits that help you release unhealthy toxins? So that that becomes the, uh, I mean, I blew out my thyroid mm. in my in my years of service. I asked the doctor why. He, to, he grabbed my arm and he squeezed it. And he held on for a minute, and then we let go. It hurt. He says, "You've been doing that for twenty-eight years, dude."
1: Oh wow, that's good.
0: Yeah, yeah. He says, "You, you know," and uh, that it's just uh, same with cops, same with social workers, right. you know, same same with pastors. There's a whole group of of uh, people who carry that in their bodies, and they have to find healthy ways to release it.
2: It's amazing and,
0: how. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It's yeah, okay. so yeah, if you tie it to the people in Ukraine, they're having, you know, it's that continual ba- I mean, battle fatigue fatigue's just such a real thing. If you read uh Stephen Ambrose, Citizen Soldiers, he has a whole chapter to where uh I will just tell you one story and really grab it. Uh is there was this one one soldier who had landed at Normandy, had been in continuous combat, he'd seen he was on uh, Almost everybody in his company had already been replaced from either being wounded or killed. They had a new group of people come in, and now they were on a third group of new people, and he'd still survive. So he knew he could look around and say, well, wow, everything's been missing me. How did that happen? And so he was he was so tired of being sleepy, scared, hungry, stressed all the time. He said, I would give up my arm to get out of this. And so they're in the middle of a mortar attack. He loses his hand. The hand is blown off. It's a stump. He's jumping up and down in the middle of a mortar barrage saying, I, have, I get to go home. I only lost the hand. Crazy. And everybody understood. They celebrate with hell.
3: Yeah, Lee. That is battle
2: fatigue. Wow. And that's what you're seeing in the face of those people. Yeah, that's the the two things that have stood out to me to the degree yesterday. I was at a church in Waco, and they just asked us to turn to the person around us and the people around us and pay for Ukraine and them. And I I started praying and literally started sobbing in the middle of the prayer to the degree. My wife had to finish the prayer on her own, and I just had my... And I didn't really understand what was going on, what the Holy Spirit was doing. But the more and more yeah. I watched, the two things that stand out to me is these people's freedom is being taken. Yes. Like, and it bothers me deeply. It like, yes. I, this is, and, and, and you've got all these people, it speaks to me spiritually. Like when you walk down the street and you know the gospel and you don't preach it. Yeah. everybody's yes. standing around not doing anything given a bible verse here and what i mean by that is given some munitions here right given a bible verse here to deal with but we're, but we're not really doing anything about the death or the or the or the, or the that the the en the, the ground that the enemy's taking when you choose not to evangelize and then number two was just what we talked about, which was the battle fatigue that I see on these people's faces. Like it's their their they're, like their eyes get sunken in, and it's just I don't know why God's pointing that stuff out to me, uh, but it's it
1: just it's it's hitting me very deep to the heart. Here's what the Spirit just told me: mm-hmm. that's the world without Jesus. Yes, like the sunken in eyes and the face and the hopelessness and everything that we have right now. That's people without Jesus. Yeah. like And so our battlefield is literally going out and sharing the gospel. Our battlefield is making sure that those people don't get to a place to where they're hopeless. You know, yeah. and that's where the world is right now. That's our job to go out and do that. Just like it's the United States job to come in somehow without starting World War Three and helping Ukraine to an extent. I don't know what that looks like. I've, you know, I've been out of the military so long. I don't even know what we can or can't do or won't do or... But i do believe um you look at what's going on right now that nato has come together in a way that i think will hinder russia from doing a whole lot more anyway but um i i really think that that's that that fear that that uh, desperation um that hopelessness that we see in the rest of the world is a world without jesus
2: there's such a fascination right now with zombie stuff not (laughs) saying there's anything wrong with that it's entertainment (laughs) But but yeah. but it, but it's spiritually, that's that the reason why people like zombie stuff so much is because if you don't have Jesus in your life, you're a walking dead person.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's you know mm-hmm. that's the way it speaks to me. Right. You know is that yeah. we we were born at enmity with God. We were born dead, and that's why there's such a fascination
1: with it. You know. That's good.
0: So well, what you're getting at. Is the Christians have the opportunity for renewal? The mm-hmm. unsaved do do not. They have. They can get parts of it. For instance, you would find those people if you temper like we again. One of the ways you dealt with battle fatigue was you created a refuge, one terrain or two terrain features back from the forward line of battle, so that they could get one good night's sleep without being afraid. Get them some hot food, a hot shower, and so you would let them heal their physical needs, but you weren't healing their spiritual needs, mm, yeah. a Christian. But see, here's the challenge with the Christian: don't think that you don't need the sabbatical, where you're giving yourself a good night's sleep, a hot meal, a hot shower, and a moment's rest, and renew your spirit.
3: That's so because I, you know,
0: I have found again. I blew up my thyroid, and I have found. That if I wasn't careful, I was renewing my spirit. But, I mean, what happened when Jesus was touched by the the woman with the uh, hemorrhage? He turned and said, who touched me? Why? Because he felt power go out from him. And so as we serve others and we are being touched Mm. by the hurt and the needs of other people, power is going out from us. And so, Mm. you know, if I learned anything as an army chaplain was the importance of finding the foxhole, going down into it and being alone so that God could renew my spirit. So oh, that sweet. would do no good. That yeah. would do no good. I mean, I went to right here at Fort Campbell, uh, you know, not far from where I live right now. Uh, I went through the rip course. We were patrolling all night long and we went 17 days with almost no food, no sleep. Your physical body was just absolutely wiped out. Yeah. I mean, uh, and so it would not have been enough to renew my spirit in that situation. That's I can't have one rest my body. And right. so Christians shouldn't think that they still don't need to take care of those things. That's so true.
2: it's it's awesome that you just said that. So yesterday uh sermon was on First Corinthians um thirteen, and it was the part twelve and thirteen where it says, For just as the body is one and as many members and all the members of the body through many are are one body, or so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we this is the verse, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And what this pastor did yesterday was he hit on baptized, being immersion, not talking about physical baptism, but talking about how we are immersed into the holy spirit right Mm -hmm. we are put into the holy spirit but just because Mm -hmm. you're put into something it takes time to become saturated which he hit on that word with the word drink so now you're immersed but you keep drinking to get saturated and he Mm -hmm. and he he actually used a sponge and put a sponge in the water and said when this sponge first goes in it's wet it's immersed in the water but it's not saturated yet yeah. and that's why god wants us to continue to drink that's and, and good. that that just came into my mind because he's talking about how we need to you know refuel, ourselves, refuel yeah right exactly get filled back up
3: yeah
1: It's a constant feeling you gotta you gotta continue because you are that's i love what you said a while ago it's the power going out of you i never thought of it that way like you know, discipling and counseling and, you know, encouraging and, and chastising sometimes like it's, it's, it's yeah. exhausting and it gets tiring. Yeah. And
0: Death notifications. Yes. Yeah. I mean, one of the toughest things that I did in the army was over the course of my career. I did 150 notifications where you knock on somebody's door <sighs> and you uh, give them the worst you could ever get. Wow. And, uh, then usually you're going with a casualty assistance officer who's never done it before, so it's right. their first time. You got some sergeant or a new lieutenant. You know they've been in the army less than a year, and here they are driving out to Richmond, Virginia, going out mm. in the country not knocking on the family's door. And so they get back in the car. Well, they do a meltdown. Hmm. Well, I want to do a meltdown. <laughs> I want to meltdown. But now I've got to help this young. The first time they've done it, right? You know, I've got to help drive back for an hour, two hours. uh, I mean, one time we found out that we uh, we notified a family, the, the wife, that her son had been killed. And then we they called us and said, are, are you guys aware that on his DD-214 that he's got a father? They're divorced. We're like, well, oh, you yeah. didn't tell us that. They said, well, he's, he's in a, somewhere in the county, he's in a prison. He's in jail. We're like, well, which one? They said, no. So we start driving to different jails. And asking "Is mr so-and-so here and find the third Mm -hmm. one we hit out in the middle no place yeah the guy was there so we have to go back into his cell and tell him that his son was killed in combat
3: oh my goodness
0: and and then he's like well can can i go to the funeral
1: (laughs) yeah like how do you answer that it's not that's not even your choice yeah
0: (laughs) Oh, I went to the warden of the, I said, you know, I asked the, the guy that did the event, can I go see the warden? I go see the warden. I said, sir, is there any way, I mean, we'll get a military escort. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll take this guy there and change with weapons on him. He's like, no, we can't do that. Oh my goodness. And so oh goodness. You know, in that situation, I mean, I did the only thing I could do. And whenever you do the notification, you don't do the funeral. Another yeah. chaplain does because we found once again, it was too much to do note the notification followed by doing the funeral later. And so I did a hundred and fifty separate funerals from the hundred and fifty death notifications, but they were different sets of people.
3: Oh my goodness. And so
0: so for this one guy, I broke the rules and I went out to the prison and you know we went and had a little memorial there in his cell to where I, you know, communion and you know we did scripture reading prayer and let him talk it through, just a little Algerian kind of counseling. Let him, you know, uh, but still, when you, you, you know, he wanted to see his the, physically touch the casket, right. see this go down into the ground. And uh, wow. So again, something goes from you. I, I was watching We Were Soldiers uh, Once and Young with uh, uh, Mel Gibson. Yes. Here's the scene to where. The wives are going. They see the mail. The mail mailman the,
1: Yeah, the mailman and the uh, taxi driver pulling up. Yes. yes.
0: And so the wives go and they they do the notification. And I'm watching that. And I'm at I'm stationed at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, and I'm in so 20 about 22 years into my career, and I'm watching that, and I just go absolute fetal position. Mm-hmm. I fall into the floor in the living room, roll up into a ball, and just start sobbing and Pam goes down and just puts her hand on me and just starts praying for me and she lets me just cry for 30 minutes. And because it had just again that had been going out for me all those different events. So
1: so that's a that's a great question. Um how did you as the chaplain how did you pull your own cops on your own life? You know, you're talking about the cops, you know, just going through that yeah. process. Uh, how did you pull that number one in your own life? And then number two, how did you not take your wife down with you, um, yeah. in the process? And how did you allow her to, oh, journals? Okay. I love I've it. Got,
0: I've got 28 years worth of journals down here. Plus mm. my two years. Past. But, no kidding. Everybody's different. And so for me, uh, it's my, uh, journaling, music, mm. exercise. And then I have uh, chaplain friends who we've had some of the common experiences together and we'll tell stories and laugh. I mean, so,
1: I mean, you gotta laugh. I'm trying yeah.
0: to think of what I can tell you. And, uh, uh, can I tell the Kentucky story?
1: Oh, heck yeah. Yeah,
3: no, tell that. Please, That's
2: good... please don't tell a Kentucky it, story. We gotta I'm have a Kentucky joking. story. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: so so we're out in Germany and we're at uh, the, the ranges firing uh, qualifying our Bradleys, and now we're doing uh, table twelve, which is where you do your platoon uh, firing. Well, there's a cook out there who grew up on a farm in Kentucky, and uh, he could make the sounds of all the animals on the farm Having intercourse. <laughs> <That's> what... <laughs> The pigs, the donkeys, the cows, the whole everything—he could make sounds, and we—I would—I would, I would be—I'd be laughing so hard I was crying. And so, since I was always at the, that range when each company would come through, I'd just sleep out there and wait for the company to come through, and that way I could see everybody hold a service. Uh, I knew they were under all of stress doing day, you know, qualifying day and night fire. And so then they'd all gather for their meal, and I'd call that guy over. It's the chap and causing the trouble. I'd call him over. Okay, tell him about the fall in Kentucky. And he would do that for the company. They would just, we, we would just, it, it wasn't, it was funny. Right. It wasn't that funny, but when you've been going, again, you're under stress. But, yeah. An, an austere environment. Things are just funnier.
3: Mm-hmm. I, always,
2: I always say to jody kentucky where the men are men and the sheep are scared
3: <laughs> right yeah because i'm from
1: kentucky i'm from kentucky i think i told you that i grew up in murray kentucky so yeah
0: so you have a million of those kinds of stories
3: right
0: you get together and we would share them and it's very cath- cathartic. in fact dave giamona which i'm going to record chaplain dave giamona who just wrote the book uh uh what is oh it's uh about preparing for the end times. It's basically a a soldier's guide for the end times, something okay. like that. Dave Giamone, he's here in Nashville. I'm going to meet with him on Wednesday, and uh, we're going to tell war stories because no, Dave and I served great. together for. You know, he was thirty years. He's a retired colonel, and uh, but when we get we get together, we kind of apologize to the wise because <laughs> we'll go down the rabbit hole and just start telling stories. <laughs> My all my uncles who were preachers, they'd get together. We'd be out underneath the weeping willow. They'd get together and start yeah. telling stories, of uh, you know, like one time they were doing a baptism during kind of the hippie mm-hmm. times, and you know, some guy get puts the white robe on, has nothing underneath it, gets down into the water, whoo, The whole church gets to the view. <laughs> they just start telling those stories, and you're.
1: That's I, great. So that's a that's a good point, like um you know camaraderie number one, you know, and having somebody in your life that you can talk to and laugh with and you know yes. share the ups and downs of that uh one of the things that I felt in the military was alone, um even though I was with hundred and sixty other guys and you know yes. doing training and sleeping out in the tents and you know i drove an m3 bradley for my commander uh my captain and um you know we had three guys in that and it still felt lonely you know it was almost like i was too young to understand or or to to, to communicate and have a conversation so i didn't i didn't understand that but i did have a captain that was really good at you know just talking and yeah. uh, getting to know the stories and all of that and so i, I think that's that's huge it's, as a pastor, I have those men in my life to be able to just to, you know, there's some of them, you know, Ben's one of them that he and I can talk about anything and then we can talk about theology, you know, and that's, that's a cool sure. thing to to be able to do. Cause it's not always about, you know, scripture and, um, discipleship and training. Like, it's, uh,
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, Gordon McDonald in his book, uh, ordering your private world talks about the importance, uh, and Swindon, you go to any book, and um, they will talk about the importance of that band of brothers, right? Which is kind of what this podcast becomes. You have men talking about uh, some of the challenges we we faced. So there's one story I got to tell you. Good. As time, this whole uh, and this was at Fort Riley, Kansas. This was uh, one of the craziest moments of my early army career. It's uh, Friday night. That week, I had gotten more insurance. I doubled my life insurance because I now had two kids. And I just thought, you know, this job, bad things could happen. right? And I, need, I wanted to know my wife to be taken care of. So that week, I get more life insurance. I get home Friday night. I get a call, a frantic call from my battalion commander. He says, chaplain, chaplain, where are you at? I said, sir, I just got home. He said, I need you back up at Charlie Charlie Barracks. We got a hostage situation. One of our sergeants up there has a gun and he's got the company stood off at gunpoint. I need you to go up there and talk to him. I'm like, All right, sir, Roger. And I turn to my wife. My wife says, What's going on? I said, I didn't need me back at work.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, she can read, she knows it's more than that, but I'm not gonna tell her, you know. So I hop in the car and I'm praying as I'm driving up there. So I pull up out the the parking lot of Charlie Company barracks. And there's the SWAT team circling the building. So I get out of my car and I go over to one of the young soldiers and I said, what are you guys trying to do? What's going on? He says, I have got a guy under a gun. We're trying to find a window. And, and we're trying to take him out. I said, well, I said, uh, I've been told I need to go in and talk to him. And I really don't, I'm wearing the same uniform as him, same haircut. And we're probably both as ugly. And so uh, I, Don't want you to mistake us. He said, well, sir, I can't do that. I said, well, take me to who's in charge. Take me to your, uh, your commanding officer. So he takes me over to this young lieutenant, you know, and he's, it's Friday night. He's all got his battle rattle on. He's all excited because he may get to shoot somebody, you know. (laughs) And uh, I'm like, I've been told to go in there. I need you to pull your guys back. Oh, no, sir, I can't do that. I said, well, then you're going to have to go in and do it. Because I said, I'm not going in there if you guys are locked and loaded trying to shoot through a window. He's like, oh, okay, so he pulls everybody, and I said, okay, I'm going in there, if he shoots me, you can go in and get him, but right. give me a chance to talk. first. So now I go up to the double doors, and the company commander, and I won't say his name, because he sometimes is on TV talking, and I mm-hmm. want to know who it was. So I, the company commander's outside the, the barracks' doors, and inside I hear somebody yelling, and the, the captain says, hey, hey captain, uh, uh, do you think I ought to go in and talk to him? I'm like, well, who's he mad at? He says, oh, well, he's mad at me. And I'm, I'm thinking, I don't really like you that much. So, yeah, you go and talk to him. <laughs> Maybe I better go with him. So I open the double doors, and there's this long hallway wall to my left. And to my front is the CQ, the, the mm. desk pardoned Vietnam War Fed guy. And uh, so I walk down the hallway, and I hear around the hallway where I know there's a setting area, I hear this guy yelling. And uh, so my heart rate's starting to go up a little bit. And then I stop at the corner of the wall, not yet stepping out where the guy can see me, and the sergeant major looks over at me. And and I hear the young guy saying something stupid like, well, go ahead, just shoot me, get it over with. And I'm thinking, oh, let's don't escalate this. And so the Sergeant Major kind of looks over at me and he kind of rolls his eyes like, you know, what are you going to do, chaplain? Just stand there and wet your pants? Or are you going to... I'm thinking, I'll just stand there and wet my
3: pants. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, so finally, I kind of work my courage up and I step out and I raise my hands up in the air and this Sergeant, Buck Sergeant, locks this nickel-plated Colt 45 on my chest at about 20 paces. And it looks like a one Oh five (laughs) house. I
1: bet it was.
0: I'm thinking, Oh, and so I say something And then, so he's to my front, the CQ now and the Sergeant major are just off to my right. And then kind of over to the left, about six, seven soldiers that were watching TV, but they're not watching TV anymore. So, uh, So that's, that's the group of people. And, uh, so I say something really intelligent, like, uh, you're really upset, aren't you? Well, I'm smart. I spot those things right away. And so, uh, you know, I try to get him to start telling me what he's upset about. And, you know, he keeps saying life's not fair. And he's telling me about his, his father, who was a, a first sergeant who they didn't have a good relationship. He was going through uh, a messy uh, divorce with his wife and he was having problems with chain of command. And he just, you know, was I get him calmed down. And about the time I get him calmed down, Somebody would move. Mm. And then he would swing his gun, start pointing at them, start yelling again, and then swing it back at me. And after that happened about three times, I was like, uh, I have got to get closer to him and get him just talking to me. So I'm kind of praying, you know, I need wisdom right now. And yeah. uh, so I say, uh, Do you mind if I take my BDU top off so I can come closer to you? And he looks at me. And well, why do I want to take my BDU top off? He's mad at a captain. I'm wearing captain's rank. Right. And he's mad at authority. You know, I'm an officer in the army. And so, uh, I also want to show him I don't have a weapon. And so I take on my BDU top now. And so I, I, he lets me come close for now. We're at about five paces. He still got the gun on me. And, uh, he keeps repeating the same things and getting angry, but at least he's calming now and just talking to me. And, uh, so in that situation, there's one thing I'm looking for. What do you think that is? See now I'm being the professor. Okay. What's the one thing I'm looking for?
1: An opening to grab the gun.
0: A seed. Now, <laughs> I'm looking for a resource. Okay. What is a resource? Now I'm going back to my suicide prevention training that I've had in the army Got it. multiple times. You're looking for some someone or something that they care more about than the pain of life. And in this case, he tells me, you know, I'm asking him questions, you know, in the middle of him saying life's not. I say, yeah, I agree with you. Life's not, you know, you know. I, 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 this week I was at the hospital where a two-year-old child was dying of cancer. So yeah, I agree with you. Life's not fair. Mm. And uh, and then I find out that he has a son. He has a five-year-old son. Now, and I ask him, do you love your son? And he gets mad at me. Like what? You know, I should shoot you, chaplain you know, I love my son. I said, well, look, I've, I've been to the hospital where kids were abused by their parents, so I don't assume everyone loves their kids in the same way that I love mine. So I'm just asking. he says, yes, I love my son. There it is. There it is. Yeah. All this was like, you got him. And so I just said, uh, I said, look, I understand your relationship with your company commander, your wife, your your dad, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, It's not fair. Life shouldn't be that way. But I said, I can't fix that. And I said, I'm not sure you can either. But I said, there is one thing you control. If your son grows up without a father, that's not fair. Mm. You control that. Right here, right now, you control that. And then he dropped the weapon, chambered, you know, kicked the rounds out. I most beautiful music in the world was when those shells They're
1: hitting the floor. I could imagine. Oh.
0: Yeah. And then I wrapped him in a bear hug and he cried. And, uh, but, uh, so that was my introduction, my, in the army. Wow. Welcome to.
3: Wow. Yeah.
0: So, so you can talk to any chaplain who's ever served anywhere and they all have a hundred soldiers, a hundred stories that march right along the side. Just of them.
1: like that. Yeah. So yeah. you're, you're in, um, a- uh, it's you're in a, a system that is designed for high stress. Um, yes. And, and just about from the day that you, you, yeah, the, you right, exactly. I mean, the, literally from uh, the moment you meet your, uh, recruiter, like that's high stress. They, they're, yeah. they're on yes. you and they're like used car salesmen and they're trying, you know, and I, I even remember telling my, my, my drill sergeant, my senior drill sergeant that, You know, my recruiter lied to me because he told me wherever I went to do my boot camp is where I'd probably get to do my duty station. And I went to Fort Knox, Kentucky uh, for my boot camp and I did the combined AIT and boot camp. And so it was like four months long. Um, And then I got um, uh, and this is a pretty good story. I got uh, my duty station was for Germany, but I'd only I'd only joined for two years, the College Army Option Program. So I couldn't take my wife and I was the typical, I I fell in love with my wife in college, but I was flunking out of college. <clears throat> so I joined the military so I could keep my wife or my girlfriend yeah, at the time. Yeah. But I was the stereotypical guy getting married in between boot camp and, you know, my duty station. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Did you do the like same thing? Before t- boot camp. Before okay. Like
2: got married seven days later was in.
1: So, uh, oh, wow. And so, um I didn't want to go to germany without her and and the only way that i could take her with me was to join for another two years and so while i'm in boot camp i'm in like three and a half months i'm at three months maybe three and a half months so i'm close to graduating boot camp my um mom or my my girlfriend's mom and dad were pretty well connected as a matter of fact they were well connected enough to get senator paul simon who uh was the head of the arms committee at the time uh, uh he was a he paul simon. he was a senator yes
0: oh singer
1: oh uh, no no was... no uh paul what is it not paul no it's paul simon oh no yeah the bow tie guy you know the do you remember the bow tie guy no, no um but he was a senator at the time uh in illinois who was also a head of the arms committee Oh, okay. Well, unbeknownst to me while I'm in boot camp, they get my duty station changed. He owed my in-laws a favor for something. I have no clue what it was about. My, my father-in-law was the president of the coal miners association. So no telling, uh, no telling what he, you know, he, he was uh, high up there, but, uh, anyway, make a long story longer. I literally get a call from my captain. Uh, once it was a Sunday afternoon, I'll never forget. Cause I went to church on Sunday, so I didn't have to, you know, do my, uh, clean up my barrack awesome. and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. it was right after church. And I, I heard down the hall, PFC Burkine front and center. And so I run down the hallway and again, I'm standing at the door and I see my senior drill Sergeant. Well, I could have swore it was my captain yelling, but there was my senior drill Sergeant. So I walk in the office and as I walk in the office, the door shuts behind me. And so there's my senior drill sergeants and the two other drill sergeants that were in my face all week long. And there's wow. my captain sitting at the table. And I thought I am dead meat. I don't even know what I did. I've got my three drill sergeants, my captain, my captain just killed. Like he started cussing me up and down. So he said, I've never, ever had to talk to a, senator in my life and here I am talking to this senator and this and blah and you and all of a sudden he, all of a sudden he started talking about the chain of command and I was like I don't even know what you're talking about like I didn't have anything to do with this so I'm standing at ease and um, I start talking with my hands and I pull my hands out like that and my senior drill sergeant said I think you just tried to hit the captain and grabs me by the throat and here I am up on I'm up on the wall and they had me scared to death so I still had four or five, six weeks. I don't even remember what it was left and their goal was just to make me miserable. Like I was, I think I was number one in the platoon with all my PT and my, my training and all this. And by the time I left, I think it was like number 10, but they, uh, during hell week, um, they took CS canisters and put them in my tank. They stole my M 16 and you know, they just made my life miserable. Oh. And so um, graduation day, here I am. I got my beautiful wife coming. I got my whole family coming and I'm on the front row because my last name, you know, ends with a B and here comes the captain and the senior drill sergeants and they're all going down the line and, you know, they shake your hands and hand you your diploma and your orders and all that kind of stuff. And I kid you not, my senior drill sergeant, my captain passed by me and he Kind of punched me in the chest, and you know all this. My senior drill sergeant grabs my hand. And he pulls me to where his his mouth is at his or his mouth is at my ears, and he goes, "I know people at Fort Riley, Kansas." And he pushed me back, and I thought, "Oh my gosh, he's gonna kill me at Fort Riley, Kansas." So that was a, that was a story of my boot camp years. That you know the the stress that I had from that 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 was the whole point was just the stress. And then here I go into Um, Fort Riley, Kansas, August 6th, you know, getting ready to go to war. It was so much more stress there, but it's just, it's, it's crazy how you have to deal as a chaplain because you're, you're really the one that's dealing with every issue that comes along with the guys in your battalion. And you're talking a bunch of guys that are young and dumb and, you know, really confused and really stressed that are making some dumb decisions. Um,
0: You mentioned the fact that a lot of them are coming in without healthy parental role models, uh, especially among the enlisted. Now, what I did find was that there were more officers coming in from two-parent families because they were able to uh, uh, kind of provide education. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I I did find that when we did field services, when I was focused on uh, the individual enlisted soldiers, out of 100, I might get 10. Right, But when into the officers, I might have 20 officers that were, for instance, when we had a, a summer camp for all of our ROTC, the Army ROTC cadets would come to Fort Riley and I I was assigned to be the regimental chaplain naturally. I didn't have enough to do as a battalion chaplain, pastor of the youth program, preaching the chaplain, but they also had regimental chaplain out of the summer.
1: Yeah, speaking of stress, they're just going to burn you
3: out.
0: They were going to burn me out. I mean, one time I'm sitting at the table and, you know, I'd come back from the field visiting my regiment where I did a service, 20 officers. I had 14 come. I'm Mm. like, what? You know, I was expecting out of 20 to have two or three. I had 14. So they were coming out of a more, uh, they've been higher emotional Mm. intelligence. Yes. From their family of origin. That's what I, those observations, you mentioned that earlier that percentage of people who come to services. Well, and
1: they're, so kind of, the, they're kind of, it, they're kind of the the barrier between you and the enlisted guys. Like if you're having to deal with the enlisted guys, it's because the captain or the lieutenant couldn't figure out what the crap they were supposed to do. And so they're pushing them off onto you. It seems like, so there, there was there.
0: Yeah, well, and a good chaplain is PTM with the soldiers. Right. In fact, going back to Timothy McVeigh, I mean, we were doing a 12-mile road march, an uh, EIB road march, and uh, I started at the back of the formation, and then I just walked and ran so I could work through every company until I got to the front. And when I came to Charlie Company, uh, Timothy McVeigh, who was the first-hardened dri- driver, 1st first of Greece, uh, who was an atheist, by the way. Mm. Uh, uh, and so as I'm walking by Timothy McVeigh, I didn't know him yet. You know, right. uh, it was only later when the company called me and told me what happened, uh, that, uh, after the war, it, it happened. And by then I was in another unit, but anyway, he wouldn't talk to me. Mm. Everybody else would talk to me, you know, uh, at least, you know, I'd tell me where they were from, why they joined the army. i find out, ha- did they have a girlfriend? And, you know, just, you know, chat them up and, uh find out how everything was going, and uh, just by being present, they'd see me at PT, they'd see me when I did the company, you know, living in the sexy world or the spiritual dimension or personal right. finance, I was always coming up with some class that I figured this is the struggle, here's how we bring the gospel into it. So they knew me, and they would they would reach out to me. I, I stayed pretty busy all week long with soldiers coming through my office. because right. uh, uh, I was approachable. And, and I wasn't what was called an officer's chaplain. You have some chaplains who may be their fathers. I had a chaplain friend whose father was a general. And he just kind of, where my dad was a non-commissioned officer. Okay. In the, so I had a great respect for the, uh, non-commi- you know, the non-commissioned officers. I knew they were strong leaders. Some of them were great men and women. Some of them were not. And it was my mission in life. They didn't realize, the bad ones didn't realize, that the battalion commanders and the company commanders would pull me aside and say, okay, chap, and tell me the rest of the story.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Because if, if you ever read the book uh, Seven Habits of Effective People by mm-hmm. Covey, in it, he has a chapter in there about production and production capability, how a strong leader not only can produce, but can also take care of the equipment. Right. In this case, the soldiers. So you'd have some commands that would come in, company commander, first sergeant, platoon sergeants, who would produce but they would wipe out their soldiers. Right. Yeah. I mean, they would work 70 hours a week and just break up their families, and there'd be uh, suicide attempts and all kinds of things. And then you have another company who did really well, but not as high as Alpha Company. Bravo Company did well, Alpha did better. So Alpha must, they must deserve the one blocks and their better OERs. I go see the commander, I say, Sir, pull up their profile. And let's see how there how many people re-enlisted from that company. Oh, you mean half of Bravo Company re-enlisted and out hmm. of Alpha Company? Only only 10% reenlisted? How much domestic violence was there in Alpha Company? Oh, there were six. How many in Bravo? Only one? And then the company ran or the battalion commander would say, Oh, so he's wearing out. He's not he's not good for the army long term. I said, no, sir, strategically he's not. Those are- he's real good at short race. But we got to run mile after mile after mile. We got to be in combat for a long time. Mm. And so I didn't realize that I was helping keep the good NCOs and officers in the Army and get the bad ones put out.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I never thought that you could, I mean, you really can see a good leader, especially in the military, based on all of those things that you were talking about, like domestic violence and burnout and reenlistments and all of that. That's cool. <laughs>
0: My first battalion, I had one of the first sergeants meet me at the door to his barracks in his company and tell me, "Sergeant, Chaplain, you're not welcome here. I don't oh. want to see you down. I said, you don't look like God. <laughs> you don't smell like God.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it.
0: You just made sure I'm going to be down here every morning and every night before I go home. You'll be the first and last stop of my day because mm. I'm going to find out what you're doing down here. Well, you don't want me around. Wow.
3: That's yeah.
2: great. Yeah. we yeah. Had, You're talking, you guys are talking about all your army stories. Just so you know, we had tablecloths in our chow halls in the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. after, after my, so I did do basic training and my tech school at the same, at, at, uh, at, uh, in San Antonio. And so yeah. after that, because, if an uh, air force base is attacked, the security squadron is the one that's got to defend the base. We went to air base ground defense training in Fort Dix, New Jersey.
3: Oh and yeah. There I, you go. When yes.
2: I, when I got there, I, the first memory I have was us going to the chow hall and we had to stand elbow to elbow and move sideways. And you know, the army right. guys, they're probably being harder on us than they even are their own guys. Cause we're the air force. I'm thinking to myself, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> these people are crazy. I'm sitting at a steel, like a stainless steel table, Right. you know, this, that, and the other. But on a more serious note, so we, you know, in the in the middle, I was only in for four years, but saw a lot of marriages wrecked. Uh, nah. So just saw a lot of the things the guy the guys were dealing with. Did you? I, I know you were that you were you were involved in. Uh, you know, teaching and training about suicide prevention and this, that, and the other. But were, were you also having to deal with it on the other side, with you know, having to deal with actual suicide or and and yes. things
0: like uh, that? Oh yeah, no. I mean, I, again, time doesn't allow us to go into some of these, but I had a sergeant who was sexually abusing his uh, two stepdaughters, mm.
3: and
0: uh, he didn't, you know. I got called to the hospital, and uh, it was pretty evident after going down and meeting the mother and the two daughters that, in fact, they had been sexually uh, molested. So I called the first sergeant uh, for Chardon Reese. It was his company, Chardon Company, and the one one that had Timothy McVeigh. And I said, you know, where's the soldier? And they said, well, he was in a formation this morning. And so I said, well, when's the last time you saw him? And then I said we need to get out to his house. We went out there. His vehicle was there. Door was locked, so we had to call them the MPs, military police. You guys came in and helped us. We had to go upstairs, and uh, he'd taken a shotgun, blown off his head. Oh my goodness! So, uh, yeah, I mean that was that hard to go to sleep that night because not only did you talk to young girls who had been sexually abused by their stepfather, right? You had to go see that, do the, and then the battalion commander did wouldn't let. Let us do a
3: funeral.
0: Mm. A soldier, he said he doesn't deserve that. Oh
1: my goodness! Holy cow!
0: Oh sir, we still got to we still got to address it, and uh, and then I later had to meet his father and his brothers, wow. and they wanted to blame him for what happened. Wow. So you know you're with with all of that. So uh, and so then what? you're dealing with the counseling, uh, the domestic violence. You're the it's not the social worker. Because we're embedded in the battalion, we're the ones that they, they would come to. Wow. And I'd, just, I'd go to bed every night, and I had a list of, of people who I knew were at risk for suicide. But I had contracts with them that they would call me. You know, you either had to take them physically right. to the hospital, and they didn't want to go, and so you had to make them do a contract with you saying that they weren't oh. going to hurt themselves that night. And then you would have to call in uh, a couple of friends. You'd ask, you know, who's a couple of your friends that you trust? And uh, and then you would call those friends in and say, we want you to keep an eye on him before we leave on the weekends. We want you to look him in the eye and ask him how he's doing. What we found out was the breakup with the girlfriends. Yeah. So we had one guy. One guy, every time he broke up with a girlfriend, was a suicide risk. Hmm. So this guy's new to tell me. So they'd call me. Friday night, oh, what's happening? He broke up with his girlfriend on yeah. Thursday. <laughs>
3: right.
0: Everybody, get down there! Don't let him drink alone this weekend. Tell him right. this whole week, and then I'd see him on Monday. And he'd be alive, but you'd right. go to sleep, hoping you never, you didn't make a mistake. Right? Yeah,
1: I can't imagine. So I just read an article the other day, and it talked about there are more. There have been more suicides uh, during this Afghan war <laughs> than there were actually military man who died in the war. Um, yes. we've, we've got a few more minutes, um, you know, before we end the podcast here, could you, and I know there are men that uh, not only are in our group, we've got, um, we've got over 30,000 men in a group only through Man Up God's Way uh, that will be listening to this podcast and probably listening to it right now. We have 878,000 followers on our main Facebook page um, that I know will be listening to this as well. And so what would you, or how would you suggest that, you know, whether they're in the military or not, um, deal with or cope with suicidal thoughts or, um, a depression that just brings them so low that, you know, we, we understand our military guys are going through some major PTSD and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're major stress and they've seen their friends die and they've you know watched people get killed and all this. But that same PTSD is slowly but surely infiltrating secular society uh, to a point where, you know, right now, since COVID and uh, the lockdowns and all of this kind of stuff, uh, suicide rates have jumped dramatically um, drug addiction, alcohol—all of this has has increased substantially. In your in your wisdom, um, what would be some help? What would be some guidance for people that are are at the end of their rope, so to speak?
0: Scripture says, "If you want to find your life, you give it away." Mm. We had a soldier in Germany who had. Didn't want to be alone at Fort Leonard Wood for boot camp. Talked to his wife and child to come up and see him during the winter, during the Christmas break. They hit black guys, killed him. So this soldier would go down into Bombholder, Germany and get beat up at the bars because he felt like he should be punished because in his mind, he killed his own kids. Mm. So they brought him to the chaplain because they tried to fix it a couple of times at company level. Barney, they sent them to me. I got the story of what happened. There was a orphanage that had a boy and a girl who had lost their parents in a car wreck. And so I got with the chain of command and said, does he have permission to one day during the work day, take half of the day and go to that orphanage and get to know those two kids? And so they said, yes. I called a man and said, will you go see these two kids? We want you as an American soldier to go see those two kids and he went and then every couple of weeks i'd check on him eventually he fell in love with those kids he met a german girl married her adopted those kids and the last i heard he was the first sergeant in the army wow. What's the principle you find your life by giving it away mm-hmm. those who have been raped find life by beginning to work with people who have been raped People who have had miscarriages, help those who have had miscarriages. When Jesus spoke to Peter, Peter says, Satan has the man the right to sift you. But when I'm praying that you don't lose all your faith, and when you return, strengthen your brothers. What's the principle? Yeah. The broken legs of our life, the pain of our life, becomes bridges to help other people. Don't isolate. Don't become self-absorbed. But ask the question, How do I serve others with my pain? And you will find life. Christ will help you find life. Yes, I've seen that. Amen. Amen. In their pain, help them take a step. Sometimes people can't even get a drink of water. So you say, stand up. Take one step. Take a second step. Bend down. Drink the water. Take a step back. Go back and sit on the bed. Get some rest. So it's our job to help. I worked with a a girl who had been raped in Annapolis with her and her husband. We met every other week for about six months. I won't tell you all about it, but she had a nervous breakdown. But there came a point to where, from her pain, she was able to do incredible. And so, if you listen to people's stories,
3: right,
0: overcome evil with yeah. good. That's the principle. It oh, really is. Great. We don't. It's true for all of us. That's so it's so good. Hurt. Even the healthy. Why, why do millionaires commit suicide? Why do you know read Ecclesiastes? Why do people lose everything? Because without that service to others, it's but and why did God create us and love us? That's who He is. Mm. And if we don't do that, we're not living the life that God created us to live. It's a reflection of who He is. If we, that's why, again, it's all about. It is about trying to be happy, it's about the service. You know, and yes.
2: it goes it goes both ways too. It's you know, it's Job's Job's buddies got it right the first time. Yes. When they listened and they prayed. And so yes. on the other side of it, we meaning giving our lives up to somebody that is struggling.
0: And yes. you know,
2: being that ear to lean on and not trying to fix it. And you know, some now that Jody asked that question, something you said earlier in the podcast Resonated with me when you got all the guys together and you were doing the suicide prevention training and you were asking the guys about, you know, what are the facts and, you know, what did you think and how did you feel? It brought me to the memories of like our men's breakfast. Like we have a thriving men's ministry here. And it, yeah. it amazes me how many churches don't have one. They don't have a men. The church I was at this Sunday was a phenomenal church, didn't have a men's ministry. Mm-hmm. I had bewilders me, but these men at this men's breakfast, they just open up their lives. Like we've, you know, Jody, mm-hmm. a lot more than me, but I've had personal conversations with these guys. Some of them and never heard any of this, but you get them in a group and they start mm-hmm. to look around the room that he's not that much different than me. And you know, that's my wow. story too. It's amazing what you can do in that group environment with these guys.
0: Yes. Good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So just for clarification, those were called criticalness and stress debriefings. Okay. They weren't okay. necessarily, you know, there were, we would identify out of 25, we might have two or three people who were suicide risk, but the focus was on the fact that everybody is going through, well, everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory Amen. of God. Yes. We all have in common as brothers in Christ. We, if we went around with every one of us, there'd be something in life where we have a weakness. We have a struggle, you know, Christ didn't die because we were perfect. He died because he knew we were going to struggle. We do that. And there has to be that place of account, you know, trusting people, you know, yeah, I've been a pastor, a chaplain. I've served soldiers and families, but nonetheless, only by the grace of God am I not gone. You
1: know? Amen. Amen. Well, brother, you don't know how much, uh, that this-
0: we all struggle and we all need each other's prayer and support.
1: Yes, exactly. Well, this, uh, I can't believe it's already been two hours, man. This was a great conversation and, um, I love your heart. I love your story. Uh, I appreciate all that you've done for me and my class and I look forward to a, a future friendship that, uh, we can glean off of. And, uh, again, uh, thank you for your service and uh, thank you for your continued service in the kingdom. And uh we love you, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah, nice it. Nice to meet you, Colonel. Amen. Yeah, nice to meet you. All right, brother. Have a great night.
0: Standing with the Air Force. Standing with the Air Force. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All
1: right, brother. Well, we'll talk to you later and uh have a good one. God bless. Bye bye. All right. Well, that is uh uh that was an awesome night. Yeah, and I love him. I love his stories. I love hearing war stories and um uh if if there is anybody out there that is struggling, whether you've been in the military or not with suicide, please get help. Uh, please find a friend to talk to. Um, call the eight hundred suicide prevention number. Um, it's easy to find. Um, ask somebody on Facebook. Just find help. The the the, the easiest. That's the easiest way to to, to not do that. Um, it doesn't take away the pain. It only transfers it to the people that are left here. Yeah. So, don't
2: don't believe the enemy's lies that you're. That you're alone or that you couldn't rely on a friend or, or somebody to to help you if you Amen. were transparent and 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 shared with them your struggle. So that, that's a lie from the enemy. Uh, and, and, and the closer you get to telling somebody and bringing it to light, the more he's going to work against you. So just do it.
1: Amen. Well, yeah. guys, have a great night. We're going to call it a night and we will see you on next Monday. Be sure to download the podcast tomorrow on any podcast
0: platform. You've been listening to the Man Up God's Way podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and our website at manupgodsway.org.